Hey guys, welcome back. We have an awesome week. A new guest, which this guest is really exciting. Very Mostly exciting. because, okay, let me tell a quick backstory real quick. <laughs> so I was sitting on my couch and I was thinking, wow, it would be so cool to get this guest on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know though, he's busy. And he leads a big church. <laughs> <laughs> so I emailed um, the executive assistant and I was like, I texted, I texted you, remember? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I just emailed this lady and we're gonna see what happens. And then I was kind of really wasn't expecting an email back just because I was like, you know. <laughs> and then like that Monday, she emailed back and was like, hey, that would be great. Let me get with him and we'll, you know, get this going. And I was like, oh, I like, you know, bumped my chest. And I was like, God, that was you. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, so you definitely want to stick around because we have a lot of awesome things to share. And thank you for joining us for Sundays at 7. <laughs> guys as i said we have a special guest we are welcoming john weiss on the podcast this week we are at southland christian church here in nicholasville and we just wanted to say thank you john for getting on the podcast today and discussing some things about your sermon series that you've been doing um but before we get into that maybe introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourself to yeah. our listeners so i have been at southland for uh, 21 years and met my wife allison in haiti we were working there for about four years um, and she actually is from lexington uh, started coming to this church when she was 10 there was a family that invited her to come uh, her home life was pretty bad and uh, that family started paying attention to her and she came to christ at 14 so it was a really cool kind of God's story, how we ended up back at Southland after working in Haiti. But uh, we have two kids. Uh, my son's a sophomore in high school. My daughter's a freshman at UK. Uh, so we're still in the in parenting mode, which is a lot of fun, a lot of challenges associated with that. Uh, I like to hunt uh, when I have any free time, just be outside. So a little bit about myself. Mm, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's good. We, Caitlin and I, have been really into your series you all are in right now at Southland called Upstream. And we listened, I think she's listened to all three of them, but I listened to the first one and it's so good. So could you just go into a little bit about what the series is about, what you all were hoping to accomplish or reach people, the message you wanted to send with this series? Yeah, I think with a lot of the political tensions that we're seeing in our culture and just the division we're seeing in our culture right now and the focus uh, being, I think, on a lot of the wrong problems, I think as a culture we have a tendency to treat the symptoms without ever treating the sickness. And we just use the analogy of a river. If uh, someone was pouring millions of gallons of toxic material upstream into that water stream, downstream you're gonna have sickness and illness and death and all kinds of other devastating things. And how foolish would it be if everybody downstream uh, just tried to deal with the symptoms and no one ever said, hey, maybe we should go upstream and figure out the source of these problems. And so for us, we recognize the the real problem in our culture is in the human heart. Uh, There's an appetite for sin, and Satan's our enemy, not people. And how can we get upstream from some of the big issues we're seeing? And and probably the biggest issue we're identifying in this series is just the breakdown of the family and the all-out assault uh, that Satan has put on uh, marriage and parenting. And... You know, it's it's challenging. No one in marriage is would ever say this is easy. You know, and the same true when you're raising kids. It's just, uh, it's not not easy at all. And so when you add Satan to the mix and you add our own appetites for sin, it makes it that much more challenging. So we're trying to give people some 
practical things that they can do in the day-to-day to improve their marriages and their parenting. Yeah, so one of the first points we kind of wanted to just discuss a little bit is this idea which you talk about in your first sermon of victim culture and blaming other people for our problems and obviously as we all know and have said a million times 2020 was no stranger to issues and problems yes. you know and they all came to the surface and all of us were scrambling around I feel like trying to find the source of all these problems we were experiencing individually and collectively as a nation I think or world actually as a yeah. world and so we often pointed our fingers at everybody you can name many there's the list is endless I feel like of yeah. all the different people we were pointing our fingers at but Um, This term of like victimhood mentality kind of became, I read like so many books last year where that was a common theme throughout the book. And so um, we wanted to ask the question, so we know we're in this victimhood culture where we see all these problems and we oftentimes blame Democrats, Republicans, Mm -hmm. Trump, Biden, Mm -hmm. my mom or my dad who left me, Mm -hmm. you know, all these people. How do we get out of that mindset? What do we do in this victimhood culture that, we, that we're in? I think it starts with recognizing there, there are things we're going to get from God that we're not going to get from anyone else. And so our tendency is to have expectations of people that are unrealistic, including our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us grew up in homes where we got absolutely everything we needed from mom and dad. And so God is the source of literally everything we need. And it doesn't do anyone any any favors if we're constantly saying, well, man, I blame, you know, even structures like the educational system yes. or I blame, you know, my mom and dad for not getting X, Y, and Z. I think at some point we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And that doesn't mean that there's not pain or there's not things we, we don't need to heal from. There's definitely that. Um, but even in that, we need to take responsibility and recognize that these are things that are causing me from being a healthy contributor to society or to my family. And the sense of entitlement in our country has reached epic proportions where people think, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Mm -hmm. And I think as the followers of Jesus, we recognize what we deserve is death. Mm. You know, on my best day, I deserve hell, but God gives me heaven. You know, so I have everything I need in Jesus. And I, I really... I'm coming to the table as a foot washer, as a servant leader, recognizing I'm not going to really demand things. Because once you get that entitlement mindset in your in your bloodstream, it's, it becomes a demanding thing. And that's what we're seeing. I, I deserve, I deserve, I demand, I demand. And as far as Jesus, we live in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I think our culture needs that more now than ever. So the opportunity for the church to be a bright light in the midst of the darkness is unprecedented, in my opinion. When you were talking about, I love that analogy of the river. Um, So I feel like I was thinking about this on my drive home last night. Like we're oftentimes, you know, at the bottom of the river, like trying to find a source, like looking up at it, like, oh, I think that looks like whomever or whatever, like, but we're so far away from it, we can't see it. So I think that looks like my boyfriend who dumped me or whatever. We we can't really quite see it because we're not close to it. So you talk about like getting in the canoe and swimming upstream, piling upstream. So, like, how do we do that and why don't we? Like, oftentimes we know we should do that. Like, I got to get to this, but we oftentimes, like, just don't. I know I don't. Yeah, I I think there's a tendency in all of us to 
to want to blame because it's easier than taking a really reflective, honest look at our own hearts. I'm a contributor to the pollution in the stream, and so are you. Mm -hmm. And so I can say, well, other people are contributing more when that's not really the case. My sin put Jesus on the cross. Your sin put Jesus. And same with everyone else's. And once we take ownership of that, then there's freedom. We never we experience bondage and captivity the minute we begin to blame everybody else for all the problems and don't look inside. And again, that doesn't excuse some of the things that people have done to us. There's no doubt that other people's sin has affected me. It's affected you. But some people are never going to take ownership of their sin and what they did to hurt us. So do we just live in this constant state of brokenness and sickness? No, that's not the victorious life that Jesus is inviting us into. So there's healing that can happen once we get away from the victim mindset. But we've got to go upstream and recognize that we're all contributing to the dysfunction. We're all contributing to the pollution. Until we do that, we're going to live where Satan wants us to live, which is in a constant state of defeat, discouragement, distraction, and we're never going to get healthy and whole. That's right. Yeah, and I love how you talk about this outward, like we're looking outward. And in the beginning, you mentioned it's a heart issue. And that's like what your sermon was called, was the hearts of men and women. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned the verse in Jeremiah 17 where he says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And I think a lot of times, especially like we hear it a lot with like leading senior girls and just in that culture, like listen to your heart, like mm-hmm. follow what your heart says. It's the worst and, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's how I'm like, how do we how do we approach this like mindset of listen to your heart, listen to your feelings when our hearts it tells us in God's word our heart is desperately wicked. Yeah. How do we approach that? Yeah, I th- I think one, we have to be honest about it. So there has to be an assessment of, man, my heart really is it is dark. When it's left to itself and it's its own appetites, it's super selfish. I see that in my own marriage. I mean, I have my own pity parties. We all do. Yeah, and we, we do. And we focus on the petty. So I think once we reach a place of maturity and we realize that, then we can begin to get healthy and whole. I think the surrendered heart is really the, the heart that can be followed. So once we surrender our hearts to the control of the Holy Spirit... And we get a little bit of experience and we get a little bit of time recognizing, okay, this is the thing he's calling me to. Um, then we can begin to trust and follow that that prompting, that leading within the heart. But until then, you know, Jeremiah's statement is, mm-hmm. is spot on. But I think a lot of people just don't want to take ownership. They want to point the finger. It's just easier. It's easier. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we kind of, sorry guys, live in a lazy culture. That's just, I feel Absolutely. Like it's, so, it's so easy just to swim down. Or it's so easy just to get in the boat and just go downstream just because you don't have to put any work in. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think we're highly distracted too. I think social media gives mm-hmm. people this unbelievable amount of opportunity to be completely distracted for hours on end every day. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good for any of us. So, um, yeah, we're not a thinking culture. We're not an active working culture. We've become very lazy and entitled. And mm-hmm. I, I just use the phrase spiritual obesity. We have all the knowledge of the Bible, but no action. Yes. So we've, we have just gorged ourselves on biblical facts. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people that can tell you, well, Jericho's two miles from Jerusalem, and they know all the facts of the Bible, but I'm like, what are you doing with it? In your own life and in the lives to help other people. Yeah. We're just so sitting. We're, yeah, we're spectators. Mm-hmm. We're consumers. And we walk that even into the body of Christ. And the church is not growing. I mean, it's across the board in the United States. The church is in rapid decline. Wow. And so we shouldn't be surprised at what we're seeing in culture. Mm-hmm. Why? So, like, how do you, what's the, how do you, like, make that shift, like, in the rapid decline? What do you... 
Well, I think there's opportunity. I think people are looking for it, and they're looking to the wrong things. I think everybody's uh, put their faith in the government to be the ultimate savior, and it might be the least efficient mechanism on the planet to get mm -hmm. things done. The church can accomplish things, especially through the power of the Holy Spirit, with a group of people that are ready to serve and ready to do stuff. And pretty much every problem that culture's throwing our way, we have an answer for in Jesus. You know, look at the foster care system. We're commanded in Scripture to take care of widows and orphans. What a cool opportunity for the church to step up and say, let's eliminate the entire foster care system. Mm -hmm. We could do that. We could do that overnight. There are enough Christians and enough churches in the state of Kentucky to make that go away. Well, then people are really going to take notice. Wow, the church got rid of We could probably get rid of hunger. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot Didn't of other... you mention how, how many children are in the foster care system? Is it in Kentucky? Was it like 26,000? You know, there are, 20, there are 23,000, a little over 23,000 kids that were abused in 2018, physically abused. And that doesn't you know, include the amount of children whose cases didn't get reported. Numbers within the foster care system. We have so many kids in foster care right now that there's not enough homes, so they're being housed in detention centers. So there are a lot of kids in prison who haven't done anything wrong. There's just no place to put them. So now they're in that demographic around that crowd of people being influenced by them as opposed to being in a loving home. You know, so we've started a huge foster care initiative and adoption initiative here at the church. But we're one church. Plenty of churches that could, could do that as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I love how when you were ending your sermon, the first sermon that you preached, you said Jesus is not a solution. He is the solution. And then you said, friends, if you don't believe that, I love you, but you're a part of the problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have, we have really just given up on the idea that Jesus can solve the world's problems. I mean, I think in the, in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we have a victory that the world desperately needs. Thus, he's our king. We're building his kingdom. And for some reason, we are apologetic about that. We're embarrassed by that. And I think Jesus has the answer to this, every single cultural problem we're seeing. But again, as a culture, we're just treating these symptoms. And Jesus treated this sickness. Mm -hmm. He got inside the human heart and said, I can clean that up. Mm -hmm. The title of this podcast was Maybe the Problem is Me. Or Maybe the Problem is You. We kind of wanted to title it that, like flip it on. Like instead of using our finger, have, no one can see me, but I'm pointing. <laughs> like instead of pointing at sure. everyone else, turning the finger back on me and thinking like, okay, like what what's going on in my heart and in my thought life that may be contributing to this sure. toxic waste going down the river. I'll never forget that. That was awesome. Yeah, I think there's a problem even within the church at pointing the finger at culture. And, you know, culture is not listening to the church. So I think within the body of Christ, we need to hold each other accountable. <laughs> so it's, it's one thing for me to look at my own heart and then to go, okay, I have two sisters sitting across from me and to demand a lot of you two. I don't know why I would demand anything of the culture. They're not following Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the truth of God's word. And they don't have this community called the church. But the two of you, you're my sisters in Christ. So mm -hmm. if I really love you and I really love the church in this country, I'm going to hold the people accountable that are on the same page as me. Does that make sense? So I think in the body of Christ, we've got to raise our expectations for one another yeah. and just say, hey, repentance is really important to spiritual health. And if you care about me and you see me getting ready to put my hand on a hot stove, warn me, mm -hmm. call me to that. Or, you know, if I've already done it and been wounded by it, help me heal from it and realize I shouldn't do that again. I think that's where we need to be. Instead, we're, we look a lot like the culture. The church is... Mm -hmm gotten in bed with the culture and you know revelation 18 jesus tells the church to get out of bed with babylon it's a very very 
passionate plea that, man, the prostitute and the church don't need to be together, and they're in bed together. So it's not new, <laughs> but it's happening in our country, and it, it makes me sad. Yeah, and I feel like that's really senior girls, and that's something that we're trying to instill in them. Like some of them are on this high, you know, they're texting us all the time. We're reading this book and we're doing this, and I'm kind of like, well, now you have a mission. It's not just you can't just ride cloud nine forever for yourself. Like you now have a mission that you need to reach the girls in you know your age that aren't coming to small group. That's right. And it's it's so hard because I feel like it doesn't. They love riding that high. They love just you know, being their own self and, you know, feeling all this stuff from Jesus and they don't want to do the action. They don't want to be held accountable sure. for well, the mission. You know, to keep the analogy going, way downstream is hell. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I think at some point Christians have got to wake up and realize the major, vast majority of people we're interacting with on a daily basis are going to spend an eternity apart from God. So if we're not burdened by that, if that's not our first thought in the morning, yeah, we won't live on mission. We won't see our place of employment or our living room as a mission field, and we should. You know, it starts in our home, starts with our, our spouses and our kids. But every day, when you go to the ball field, uh, when you're at the gym, when you're in the grocery store, you're rubbing shoulders with people that Jesus died for. And it's so selfish of us to keep grace to ourselves, to hoard it, stockpile it. Man, we've got the anecdote to their sickness in our pocket, but we're not pulling the syringe out and, and offering it to them. And I can't, I can't think of anything worse than that. And that's the American church. The average church in the United States is leading one person to Christ every year. Whoa. Wow. Uh-oh. So that's a real problem. People yeah. yell, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Wake up. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we enter our Q&A session, yeah. we just kind of want to go around and just give some final thoughts just on this topic yeah. alone. I'll try to keep mine short. But as I was saying, I was driving home last night, and it was pretty snowy, so I had to go very slow. So I was in my car for a long time. But I was just thinking, you know, like, in terms of me personally, um, the problems in my life and the issues that I experience, what what keeps me from going to the source? What keeps me from getting in the canoe, going upstream, and being like, okay, what's going on? Like, what makes me afraid to, to do that? And I think a lot of times it's I... I'm dishonest. Like, I don't want to be honest. I don't want to... It's so funny how we do this, but we approach prayer and we approach our time with the Lord and we, like, tiptoe around the things that are really, like, going on in our life as if He doesn't know. And I do that so frequently. Sure. Like, I'm just feeling a little bit unsettled, you know, but I know. I know why. why. Why? And I just won't ever, like, bring it to Him. I'll just, like, scratch the surface of it and I won't be honest. And I think that's what what we all do a lot of times is we just won't be honest with ourselves when we approach the Lord. And... You know, just listening to this just made me think of that. Like, when I approach the Lord, I need to be bare and honest and bear everything out and not be like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, like trying to cover it. Yeah. Cover it. Like, he knows anyway. Sure. So I just Don't need hide. to lay it all out there. And I feel like that would a lot, I would be able to get to the source of my problems a lot easier if I would just stop being so prideful sure. and yeah. honest and be honest. Yeah. I like that. And I think like mine is like kind of similar to that, like being honest with yourself, but also. Uh, we have, you know, I feel like we're all kind of faced, especially like in ministry, with people who are like, well, I just don't know how. I don't know how to, I don't know how to take that first step. We talked with our small group kids about the pick up your mat and walk when Jesus heals the guy. And we had one girl ask, well, I don't even know how to pick up my mat. And I was reading 
In Acts chapter 2, this is something, you guys. <laughs> I was reading, and um, the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy, when God gives the Holy Spirit to the people, and all of these Judeans come, they're like, these people were drunk, they're crazy, and, and Peter steps up, and he's like, they're not drunk, it's 9.30 in the morning, there's there's no time for them to get drunk, and I kind of picture it, because I read the message version of it, and in the message version, it says, Peter steps up, and the 11 are backing him, and I imagine it as this, like, Marvel wow. moment, you know, like... <laughs> Like Tony Stark or whatever, Iron Man is like up here and all the Avengers are behind him. But he he goes on to preach a message about, you know, what's going on. And in the very end, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to make a life change, which that's something very, you know. It starts with you. Too. Yes, you need to make a life change, be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the best one. <laughs> Get out of this sick and stupid culture. And for all of you who think I made that up, I didn't. Go to the message version, Acts chapter 2. It says, get out of this sick and stupid culture. I, there are there are ways for us to take the first steps. Absolutely. And we just need to pick up our mat and do it. Yeah, honest. I always use the the little phrase, aha. Like, it's an aha moment for me. And the A in that stands for awareness. I'm, I'm aware, like you said, of, of mm-hmm. what I've done wrong or what, what's keeping me from having intimacy with Jesus or being effective in the kingdom. So I'm aware. I have to identify what is this. The H is honesty of just going, this is threatening. This is dangerous. This is life-ending. Jesus had to die for this. And then there's action. And I think it's the it's the last A in the aha thing that really keeps most people. You know, the girl described, I don't know how to pick up my mat. Mm-hmm. Well, ask. Ask other people who have maybe been down that path. If you struggle with depression, there are people who are getting on the other side of that and can help you. Uh, if your marriage is on the rocks... There are people who have been there, and they can help you get on the other side of that. If you're wrestling with addiction, same thing. It doesn't matter what the the appetite is. We all struggle with different different sins, but there's a similar thing that all of us have that other people have had opportunity to get victory over, and they can show you. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. There's always someone older. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be embarrassed about it. Ask for help. And when you ask for help, you're going to get help. Yeah, I I love that. And I just love it down down the road from that little moment that Peter had it talks about how the church lived in complete harmony yes and how they were buying and selling things to give people what they need and that's the picture that I that's the picture that's the picture I see of how Jesus wants the church yeah we use the phrase me too you know you come you bring something I can go yeah man me too too. we all speak the language of pain we all speak the language of sin so we need to act like not we need to quit acting like we don't you know, that's, I think that's really important for, for lost people coming into the church. They just feel so bad and so filled with shame and regret and guilt. And we just need to help them know that we've been there. Mm-hmm. And we can help you get out of that pit. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. All right, guys. That was so good. That was good. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so now we have entered into the Q&A of the podcast. <laughs> and um, our first question. Very important. This sets the precedent for the rest of this podcast, okay? Great. If you say something that I don't want you to say, <laughs> I might have to leave. He, he won't. I, know. I won't. No, yeah, you won't. You won't. Yeah. I won't leave either. That was a joke. Yeah. Um, what is your Chick-fil-A order? Oh, great question. I have two. Okay. Um, I I like the number one with pepper jack cheese. So the oh, the chicken sandwich mm-hmm. with the pepper. The original. Bit, OG. Yes. With a little bit of spice is really, really good. Um but I also like the spicy chicken sandwich. Like I, I sometimes go back and forth between that, and I, 
I'm like, yeah, I just have to wipe my forehead because I sweat after I eat it. But it's so, <laughs> it's so good. And then I haven't tried the mac and cheese. My kids are like, you got to try it. It's good. It's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say grilled nuggets, and I was going to be like, what? <laughs> she has a vendetta out against grilled nuggets. <laughs> I do like the nuggets. Are you against the nuggets? I like the nuggets. I don't like the grilled nuggets. Oh. Have you had the grilled ones? No. Why would you get grilled? <laughs> I know. When That's you can get I'm the saying. batter. That's yeah, what I'm no, saying. No, no, That's all I was like, if, I, if we go in here, because we had this question planned. I was like, if we go in here, and he says grilled nuggets, <laughs> really Lord of mercy. <laughs> yeah. My wife's fried chicken might be the best fried chicken on the planet. Oh, she really? Is, she has worked on it over the years and perfected it, and it is so bad for you, and that's what makes it so good. That's yeah, that's the best. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can get her on the podcast, and she can bring yes. it. Yes. She can bring it, and she can do a, a walkthrough. That'd be she awesome. That'd be yeah, we'll do it. We've been doing these visual podcasts. We did one called Heart to Heart on a Golf Cart, and we drove around town on a golf cart, and we had someone with us, and we were interviewing them, uh-huh. so we could do like a baking show. That'd be, That'd be cool. good. Teach us how to That'd make our good. fried chicken. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you passed that one. That was good. This one has a little backstory. Okay, so I'm a planner. Okay. And I've been speaking with Kim, the executive assistant. Is that mm-hmm. what her title is? Yes. And I've been emailing with her. And like I said, I've only been in this building one time. And so I was like, I don't know what door to go in, but I need to look for a face. I need to see someone's face. And so I was trying to see if Southland had like a, this is our staff. So I could like go through there and see a picture of Kim. So I knew, you know, this sure. is Kim. This is the person I'm looking for. And... I did not find that, but I found an article from 2008 where you were <laughs> interviewed <laughs> by, I think it's called Church Executive or oh, something. Man. It Who was, knows? I just have really one, did you, um, did you have frosted tips back then? So <laughs> I'm remembering this now. I lost a bet. I lost a really oh. big bet. Oh, and wow. it was around our Jesus prom ministry. We have this dance that we do. And the group of people that were organizing it bet me that they could get so many people here. And I was like, there's no way. And they said, well, if we do, then you have to bleach your hair on stage. And so I lost. And on Sunday, I had to sit there in a it chair. It was for the Lord. That is so that's yeah, but that's such the, a good story. But the after, I've never had my hair bleached. Like I, My brother's probably so embarrassed. But yeah, so then I had to do that interview this magazine and mm-hmm. had to take pictures and so there it's, out, pictures. it's out there <laughs> it's out there for everybody to see. I totally so forgot funny. about that so thank I you I didn't for, even go looking for it it just came, it up. came up I just up. typed in Southland yeah, staff and there it was like, and I was like I gotta bring this up really it was like bad. from over 10 years ago <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah. it was it was good but uh, there is a serious question about um it said in the article you took over Southland at the age of 29 mm-hmm. and I just kind of wanted to ask you like how was that because yeah. my husband just turned 29, and he was like, what? Yeah, I got hired here at 26, and over the course of a little bit of time, there were some problems behind the scenes. And um, so during that, I was on a team of people trying to clean some of it up. And by the end of that run at 29, they asked me to just step in and leave. And so way over my head, uh, which is a good place to be in terms of your prayer life and your dependence on God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a ton of energy and a ton of passion. And I think enough humility to realize I needed to surround myself with really good people. So I think the key to good leadership is usually found in delegation. You know, I'm really only good at a couple things. I need to stay in those lanes. But there are other people who have strengths where I'm weak. And just identifying who those people are was really critical early on. And most of those people are still in that inner circle and still leading. So part of the reason we've been successful is we've made a long run together. And we play to each other's strengths and weaknesses. 
Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's great. Um, also in the article, right after that, it said that Southland had accrued like a $17 million debt. Yes, that was part of the problem. And I just wanted to ask you, how, like, what were your first steps in yeah. getting out of that? Yeah, we didn't. I didn't realize it. I didn't know that at the time. And so, honestly, my second day on the job, I was told about the debt. And it was, I mean, it was a gut punch. It knocked the wind out of me because we had ideas and dreams and things we wanted to chase. But immediately... I realized that I've got to go to the church family and let them know what's happened. And it's hard for people who have, you know, put a lot of faith and trust in the leadership of the church and for that to be betrayed. Um, it was hard, but I told them I would lead honestly and that I would lead it the way I would lead my own checkbook, which is with a lot of fiscal responsibility. So instead of asking them to give more, we just looked at the existing budget and said let's take 20 to 25 percent of what's brought in and use it to pay down debt so we were hyper aggressive in paying off debt and we are debt free so a lot of what we've been able to do is in direct correlation to the fact that we don't have debt hanging over our heads so Mm -hmm. we launch a campus we pay cash and yeah i i watched the sermon where you um i can't remember exactly what you said but you were shredding that last document and i was like Wow, I don't. I'm not even like really a part of the Southland community, but it would just like kind of gave me chills because it's like awesome. Sure, I think yeah, I think if, I think if it you know down the road if the church were ever to get in a place where the economy goes south or anything like that, we would still be able to do what we're doing. And that's really important to us, mm-hmm. so we just didn't want the debt hanging over us. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's such a that was just a whole good story just then. <laughs> um, but the next question is, which I think is a really important one. So we've talked about this several times in several different episodes about how the church, in a way, is going through some kind of transitional phase. Like something's going on in the church. I don't, sure. I can't quite pinpoint what it is, but obviously you um, are a part of a church that has a lot of impact in the city of Lexington. So, what do you think the role of the church is in today's culture? I think it's striking an important balance between grace and truth. And if I were to define love, if someone said, hey, put love in in terminology that people can understand, I would say it is a perfect balance of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. And Jesus demonstrated, you know, the woman that was caught in adultery in John 8, she's brought to him naked, ashamed, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you and leave your life of sin. So in that one moment, he offered her love. He offered her a statement of grace. I don't condemn you. But he also offered us some truth. Leave your life of sin. <laughs> so if we really care about people. I always say lead with grace. Because people are hurt. They're mm-hmm. burned by their sinful choices. And land with truth. Do not neglect the truth part. So what you're seeing in the church today is it's neglected the truth component. Okay, Or it's led with truth and not followed up with any grace. So we have these two extremes. And if all you do is preach grace, you're preaching universalism, which is everybody's going to be saved. It's all good. We know that's not true. That's right. And if all we do is preach truth, we're preaching legalism, which is no one will be saved. We're all condemned. That's not true either. So it's a tricky balance, but, man, the church can do it. And it starts with individual Christians in their own life receiving grace, but also receiving truth. Mm -hmm. We need doses of both. And so what you're seeing, that, that feeling you have about the church being off, I think it's directly proportional to the fact that we've neglected truth and the world's asking, what do you believe? You know, we've got to stand up and say, this is what we believe to be true. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Offensive or not. 
Yeah. It, will be, it will be offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And your sermon, both you and Scott, in the yeah. past couple weeks have been like, you know what, I might step on toes, but I don't care. Yeah. And I think that's... Yeah, this last week I told everybody to get married and have big families. Yeah, you and did. And I was like, you're not going to hear that in a textbook or see that in social media, but it's important biblical principle. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, our final thing that we wanted to ask today was just if there's any like last um, piece of advice that you wanted to offer people who are listening right now. Yeah, I typically just say keep it simple. You know, I think I don't think Jesus complicated his mission. I think it was very clear and very simple. Simple is not always easy. Okay, um, I think we look for easy a lot mm-hmm. in our culture and even in the church world. It's not easy. Um, this is we have a very real enemy. Satan's very real, but he's also very predictable. So we know what he's going to do. We know his tactics, and we know that we have victory. So we need to we need to live in that posture and in that mindset. And um, I would also say that simple is deep. You know, just because we put things on a sophomore shelf at Southland uh, doesn't mean that there's not depth to it. Mm-hmm. It's actually a whole lot more difficult to put things in a way that people understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of what I hear in preaching today is um, complicated for no good purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, so it really takes time to edit and to really think through what's the simplest, clearest way to present the gospel to people. And we're dealing with a culture, the majority of them don't have church background. So they don't have the Bible stories. So there can't be any assumptions made in our churches. We need to be very, very clear that anyone coming through the doors that's brand new is not going to understand the language that we're using. So how can we communicate it in such a way that they can get it? Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want them to fall in love with Jesus and realize, man, this is an incredible relationship that's available to you. So that comes back to all of us. We all have to take responsibility for that. We need to ditch the religious jargon that we've we've accumulated over the years. And and again, and I think Jesus did that really, really well. He modeled that. The Sermon on the Mount's a great example. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, birds of the field, they don't labor, you know? And so he used illustrations that people could understand and realize. And um, I think we need to do the same thing. Yeah. I would also say there's at least one person in your life that you can make an investment in today. So don't wait. There's someone you can pick up the phone, you can text, you can drop a note and say, I love you, I believe in you, you're good at this. People need encouragement. And our culture is dying on the vine because they're discouraged. And I think one of the best weapons we have right now is the gift of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And the body of Christ does it better than anybody else because God is an encourager. Think about how he loves us and what he believes about us as sons and daughters. We pass it on to people. That's magnetic, you know. And I think people will be drawn to us and to our Savior yeah. through mm-hmm. encouragement. Yeah, I love that. I love that too. I need to hear that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the part about simple, being simple. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of us try to sound fancy or mm-hmm. bougie. And <laughs> just be, my mom Smart. always says, keep it simple, stupid. That's yeah. what she always yeah. says. You have force go. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, John. We really yes, appreciate the time here. that you've given us and the conversation that we've had. So thank you, listeners. Uh, join us next week for Sundays, Sundays at 7. seven.